And welcome to Sunday Night Live. All right. I love those words, and I'm going to miss those words. Some, a few of you have told me I'm not allowed to take that idea with me, that that's a Waterford trademark now, Sunday Night Live. So I've been trying to work on something new. How about Sunday Night Celebration? That's not quite as good. How about Sunday Night Prime Time? That one might be okay. So at the West Main Church of Christ, we won't have Sunday Night Live, but it'll be something, something else. Um, one of the things that I'm going to miss, turn to 448 in your songbook, is West Main doesn't use the same songbook we do. There's several in the Brotherhood, and this is Songs of Faith and Praise. The other kind of, the main competitor actually was edited by my good friend who was my song leader when I preached in California years ago, John Wigand. It's called... Um, Songs of, this is faith and praise, songs of praise or praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's what it's called, praise the Lord. And it doesn't have number 448 in that songbook. And you know me, that PowerPoint doohickey, I don't do that. So I, I may only get to lead this song a few more times. So I love it, especially when I hear you and your voices sing it. So let's sing together. Love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is Let's continue.
appreciated, I, I did have some long driving this weekend and a couple of you sweet ladies were concerned and came up to me tonight and said, well, I hope you got some rest today. The answer is I did not get a nap today. I wanted to, but somebody wouldn't let me. We'll just leave her unnamed. She had things to get done. Anybody, any husbands relate to that? Yeah. Things to get done. We are in 1 Peter. We started into the book two weeks ago, and tonight we are in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This book, I think, is so rich. And, of course, it's been quoted from and it's been taught year after year, but I, I think that perhaps more than at any other time in any of our lives, the book of 1 Peter is more needed and appropriate than ever before because it is all about persecution and suffering and equipping God's people, preparing them emotionally, spiritually, mentally for what's coming. And I think we all, all you got to do is turn on your television or listen to the radio or look on the web or whatever it may be. And you know that we're living in a society and a culture that is becoming less and less, I guess you might say, friendly towards Christianity, especially fundamental Christianity, which is what you is, if you didn't know that. Okay, so what I mean by that is that although society may accept people of all religions as long as your religion is not exclusive, you know, the one thing society today is intolerant of, or is, the only thing they're intolerant of, are people that are intolerant. So as long as you're tolerant of everything, you're all right. The problem with it is that our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. And there's no wiggle room in that. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't kind to people who don't see it that way. That doesn't mean we aren't loving to people who don't see it that way. But it does mean we don't ever compromise that that is the truth and Jesus is the only way. That's fundamentalism. And our society is not terribly friendly and becoming less and less so year after year to fundamentalist belief, especially Christian fundamental belief. And so I think it's important that we revisit this letter to Peter that Peter wrote to the believers in the first century at a time of great persecution. Because it applies to us in a way that it never has before. It's more real to us than it ever has before. And he said, and he started off the book with a perspective. As he said in the first few verses that we discussed last week, he says it is written to the pilgrims. Another word for pilgrims is the strangers, the foreigners. And that's how he will refer to God's people all throughout the book of 1 Peter. That we are not citizens of the world in which we live. That we're a people who are passing through. That we're a people who are ambassadors for another kingdom. That means, you know, an ambassador, he may live in Tel Aviv and, and live in the embassy there, or in Moscow, or wherever it may be, but that isn't home. He's been sent there on an assignment, and someday he's going home. 
You are an ambassador of Christ. I am an ambassador. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. We are foreigners in this world because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And someday when our tour of duty is over, when our mission is complete, we're going home. We're going home. And he tells them to expect and anticipate a hostile world to be hostile. I mean, we talked about that last time. Jesus said, the world will hate you because the world hated me. I mean, what do we expect? We're Christians. We wear his name. We are striving, as we talked about this morning, to walk just in his steps and be like him. And the world did not receive Jesus. In fact, what did they do to him? They killed him. They mocked him. They criticized. They spat on him. And they tortured him. That's who we follow. That's who we're ambassadors of. And this is vitally important in a religious world of health and wealth gospel. Now I want to be clear, and this is a side note, but I think it's important. You have heard me preach many times about God's blessings, and I believe in the blessings of God. And if you just listen to those segments of sermons, you might get the idea of a health and wealth gospel. Because this preacher believes that God blesses, even in this life, his people. But what I do not believe is that God will keep us from any hardship. I believe God blesses people who persevere through the hardship. But he doesn't keep us from hardship. He wants us to have hardship. Because your purpose, my purpose in this world is to demonstrate that I choose him in the test of life. And the only way that can be done is through the trial of hardship, of the wilderness of life. That's why we've looked at suffering all wrong. Suffering for a Christian is not a bad thing. It's a glorious opportunity to say, Lord, this is hard, hard, hard. But this is how much I love you. I had to remind myself of that a little bit this last week. We went through, in our family, one of the toughest weeks we've ever had. And I said, Lord, this is hard, but I'm just going to take it one day at a time. That's hard for me, by the way. I'm a planner. Am I a planner, Miss Lenore? I like to have a plan. I mean, I don't just have a one-year plan. I have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. Lenora gets tired of the plans because she's like, what are we going to do when we're 67? That's already worked out, you know? I mean, that's me. I'm a planner, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So, but the, she, gets the, she gets to like the veto power of the plan is the problem. But the, but the thing is, is that this week, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day with my folks. I don't know. I don't have any control. And I just had to say, Lord, I'll just, if I have whatever happens, I'll just take it one day at a time and suffer through it. But I want you to know I'm never going to give up on you. No matter what. It was mentioned about Job today in the prayer that Doyle gave. You know, Job said these words, even if you, and he complained at the Lord a lot. And I must admit, I've complained to the Lord a little. But he said, even if you slay me, 
still I will serve you. That's all God wants to see. You know, when so many Old Testament characters, you know, it seems like Abraham, he sins and does everything wrong and he ends up richer. You talk about material blessings than when he started. But do you know when that happens? Once he's passed the test. Life is a test. Don't let anybody tell you anything different because the Bible is clear. Life is a test. And suffering, suffering is the final exam. It's the big exam. How will we persevere it? It's an opportunity. That's why Paul would say, I want to know Christ. I want to know, to share in his suffering. To share in his suffering. And so Peter is going to write to believers who are about to endure it. And his message here in verses 3 through 9 is so profound because he's going to tell them that they can have hope for the future through this suffering. In fact, the key word here is he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Now that's, those aren't two words you generally use together. A living hope. You see, we have a hope that is different than the world uses that word hope. You know that if you stand in line to get a soda at a gas station, there's probably, it seems like every time I go to 7-Eleven, somebody's buying lottery tickets in front of me. People buy a lot of lottery tickets, and they all seem to be people who don't appear to be able to afford them. But they buy them, and, you know, they'll talk to the cashier, and, boy, I hope I win, I hope I win this time. That is not the kind of hope. That's a dead hope. You have a living, because a living hope has a life of its own. It's powerful. It's real. And he says we, even in the midst of suffering and persecution, we, God's people, have been given a living hope. And he's going to tell us exactly how that hope manifests itself. First of all, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has through his abundant mercy, he has forgotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We talk a lot about resurrection of Christ when Easter rolls around. Because that's when the world's kind of focusing on that. And that's fine. I think that's, I don't have any issue with the church kind of piggybacking onto holiday sentiments that the world has because. As long as it's a good thing and a noble thing, I'm glad that people think about Jesus every now and again rather than not at all. But we focus a lot upon his death, which we should, because that's where he paid the price. But you see, Jesus took care of man's two great problems through his death, burial, and resurrection, which is called the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 1 through 4, Paul says, I remind you of the gospel that Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. You realize the death of Jesus on the cross means nothing if he's still in the ground. It means nothing without the resurrection. You see, that great story without that conclusion has no meaning. But you see, in his death, Jesus took care of the problem that man could not overcome on his own. His sin problem. 
But in his resurrection, he conquered our other great enemy, the one that is an enemy, because every single one of us are terrified of it. And everyone you know in this world are terrified of it. And that's why they go on diets. And that's why they have health care plans. And that's why they, you know, have uh, Peloton bikes and all that stuff is because people are afraid to die. It is the great enemy that man can sometimes avoid for a while, but can't ever outrun forever. Sin and death. And Jesus conquered them both. So he says our living hope is founded in, it's built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great passage that explains fully the resurrection of Christ. And we see in verses 16 through 19, it says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If... In this life only we have hope in Christ. We of all men are the most pitiable. What does it mean to be pitied? Have you ever been pitied? I have been because I was always the last guy picked in dodgeball. You know? I mean, anybody ever been there? I mean, I was pitied. And it's always the guy who picks me like, I'll take him. You know, it's like you feel like it's, you're pitied. It's not a good thing to be pitied, right? Paul says, if Jesus is still in the, in the ground, then we, our faith is futile. He uses that word. And then he says, we of all men are most pitiable. We could use the word pathetic, sad, deceived. I have heard Christians make the statement in my life, in the church. I've heard Christians make this statement. Well, you know, even if the Bible wasn't true, I'd still want to live the Christian life. It's the best way to live. Well, I understand what you're saying, but Paul doesn't agree with you. Because the Apostle Paul, who I think would be more of an expert than all of us being inspired by the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says that if Jesus, if it isn't true, if the Bible, if the Bible isn't true, then Jesus is still in the ground. Then he says, we're pathetic, we're pitiable, that our faith is futile. And later on in the chapter, chapter 15, he'll say, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If the Bible isn't true and Jesus is still in the ground, then the atheists are right. And that we should just get what we can get out of the few years we got. Our faith is built, everything, our hope, our living hope is not built upon one who is dead. It's a living hope because it's built upon one who is alive. He's alive. That's my understanding, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, of that difficult text that talks about some of them being baptized for the dead. I think that has to be read in the context of 1 Corinthians 15. And I've heard brethren get into all sorts of discussions about, well, some must have been baptizing folks for others who were already gone and this, that, and the other. 
I think it's pretty easy to understand when you read it in the context of the chapter. The whole chapter is about Jesus is really risen. And think about this. Who, what are, who are you baptized into? Baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when they asked, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. If He is dead, then we've not been baptized for the living. We've been baptized for the dead. And there is no life in that. There is no hope. That's a dead hope. It's not a living hope. Our hope is built upon the fact that Jesus raised himself from the dead. I mean, and that, think about how majestic that is. I know he raised Lazarus from the dead. But the living had the power to raise the dead. But think about this. When Jesus died, he was dead Yet somehow, being dead, he had the power to not be dead anymore. On his own. Of his own power. That's called being the master of life and death. That is real power. You look over in 1 Corinthians 15, and we examine verses 54 through 57. Where it says, so when this, incorrupt, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of sin is death. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has promised that He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, died. I think the Scriptures use that terminology, fallen asleep, intentionally. To kind of reset our minds about what death really is. And I was reflecting on this this afternoon. And I have studied this, and I believe this my whole life. But I still, I don't think I've grown in my maturity to where I really understand it yet. It just hit me today. I want to. But I still see death like I've always seen death. I don't want to die. I don't think any of us really do. And yes, yeah, I kind of see death like Martha saw death. You remember that in John 11? Jesus said, but I am the resurrection of life. So I know, I know that he'll be resurrected on the last day. I mean, that's kind of how I've seen it. Well, I know, I know I'll be resurrected on the last day. But I don't want to die if I don't have to. And it caused me to reflect today a little bit on the greatest debate in the Williams household over the last, how old is Seth? He's 19. Over the last 19 years. What's the greatest debate in the Williams household? Superman or Batman. Yeah, who would win, Superman or Batman? That's a big debate. <laughs> um, you know, it's the kind of things dad and their sons talk about. But we all know Superman would win that fight. I mean, there's just no question. 
because Superman is the ultimate superhero, isn't he? I mean, he has the coolest powers. He can fly. Wow. He's got laser beams that shoot out of his eyes. He's got x-ray vision. How handy would that come in a lot of times? You know, he can, he's super fast. He's so strong he can lift anything. But the greatest power of all is he has absolute, total invulnerability. I've often tried to reflect on that. When Seth calls us in the car, we'll hear the bing, 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 and his mama every time, put your seatbelt on! Every single time. I wonder if we'd do that if our son was Superman. I mean, think about it. Do you think you'd care? You know, we're always like, you know, when he'd get ready to play a football game, we'd make sure his helmet was strapped on good, and we'd tell him, you know, don't take any extra risks. Would you do that if he was Superman? No. You would kind of be a little reckless and kind of approach everything with a little bit of abandon, wouldn't you, if you're Superman? Why? Because, well, if I'm... This afternoon, one of the honeydews is Lenore had a little bit of work in the basement. I have my power saw, you know, my miter saw going. And a couple of times I'd make sure, ooh, I better not get my hand too close to that miter saw. I wouldn't even think about it if I were Superman. I'd just have to buy a new miter saw. I mean, you know. <laughs> right? I mean, because if you accidentally, if Superman's finger gets in there, what? It, it's bad for the miter saw, not for him. I mean, think of all the things. How it would change your life if you couldn't die. Think about how that would change your life. And now think about what it would mean if we really believed. I don't just mean in theory like Martha. You know, yes, I know at the last day that, that he'll be resurrected. That's, I do believe that, and so do you. But what if we really believed? can't die. Jesus has conquered death for himself, which was the big deal. And therefore, for me, I will live again. Guaranteed. How would that change? Now, I'm not telling you not to wear your seatbelt. But how would that change the way we looked at life? Would it? Maybe we'd say things like this. But I want you to know, brethren, the things which have happened to me have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So this has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And then he continues on in Philippians chapter 1 and he says, but for me to live, he's in a prison cell, and he says, but for me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. For if I live on in the flesh, it will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I, listen to this, just really absorb it. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And the choice is life or death. 
He says, for I am hard-pressed between the two. It's like he's saying, I don't know. I can't figure out which one I want. Do I want to live? Sort of. Do I want to die? Yes, I do. But I probably need to live. For I am hard-pressed between the two. And what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For to live on the flesh will mean fruit for my labor. Yet I desire to depart. To be with Christ. You see, Paul had figured out that in Christ Jesus, he's Superman. He figured out that yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of Christ which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul, he'll walk into cities knowing they're going to hate him and he'll preach anyway. He'll walk and stand before Agrippa who has the power of life and death in his hands and he'll preach to him so boldly, so passionately that Agrippa said, Paul, y'all, you almost persuadest me to be a Christian. And then he'll say, well then I appeal to Caesar. And he gets on the ship and you know, Paul just kind of, I, I figure the things we worry about, Superman probably don't worry about that much, you know, because what's the worst thing that can happen? Is it any wonder Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. You are invincible. Rejoice in the Lord always. No wonder that the Hebrew writer says, He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, I may boldly say, What can man do unto me? You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a living hope. Because if we see it as Paul wants us to see it, as Christ wants us to see it, not just as Martha saw it as a concept, but as a reality, it should change the way we live. It should change our very perspective. Not that we live life without any reservation or that we don't wear our seatbelts or we don't care about the saw. Uh, not, not in any of those ways, but when it comes to Choosing the right and living for Him and facing tomorrow. We can face tomorrow because He lives. And because we cannot die. You say, but preacher, yes. We no, 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 we can't. The word death means separation. And yes, this mortal body can die, but I'm going to get a better one. So it's an upgrade. 
We cannot die. That is a living hope. I was supposed to go through verse 9, and that's one verse. And none of that was on the outline. So I think this is a two-parter that we're going to work on again next Sunday night. So whoever has next Sunday night scripture reading, you know what it is. So Todd, you don't have to text me about that one this week. But I want to ask you, honestly, and I'm being very truthful with you to say that I, I don't have my mind fully wrapped around this yet. But I want to. I want to live a life of real joy because I know that I'm Superman. Because in Jesus we are. If you need to embrace your hope again, maybe you're facing some struggles right now, maybe it's some health concerns and you've allowed it to be too much of a weight upon your soul, I don't know if you'll get better. And I don't mean this crass and I don't mean it in any way to be demeaning or to oversimplify. I'm just talking biblically here. I don't know if you'll get better right now, but you are never going to die. You will never cease to exist if you're in the resurrected Christ Jesus. You need to be encouraged if we can pray for you, help you, lift you up. You're all Superman. Let's live that way. Come right now as we stand, as we sing.